This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's All Night. Floriano has hit it out again. Ace Baseball, just for you. Here is A's All Night. I'm Alex Jensen, and it's time for A's All Night. This is A's Cast Live. Your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. It's one out. Beat on. So he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Alex Jensen. From the studios at Jack London Square here are the A's offices, Alex Jensen with you. Live from Oakland, California. Commander, you love that preview, don't you? You love the A's all night. I mean, you did a great job with it, I got to say. But that's uh, that's your thing. I love it. Uh, it's always a pleasure when you're here to host the program in place of the great Chris Townsend, the face of A's cast. Well, now he's being replaced by the face of A's all night. If, if you had to guess what time of day do you that, that uh, clip that you used when I say it's time for A's all night, what time of day do you think I record that at? Uh, sometime last night, like the night, you know, late at night, I don't some, know, one some, in the morning. Sometime after midnight. That's a, that's about when I do, uh, when I get my A's all night done. Okay, I'm Alex Jensen. This is A's Cast Live. As uh, Man, we've reached the last three games of the regular season. The A's are in the middle of their final uh, series of the regular season. They are 96-63. and 63. They've got a magic number to clinch their second postseason uh, appearance in the last two years of one. And they've got a magic number over the Rays. Of two, so the A's are right there, and we've got a loaded show for you today. And we're going to start off with, well, he's a Hall of Famer, and he's written a, a column on the Athletic recently. Despite everything, the Oakland A's remain a quiet powerhouse. He is uh, the Hall of Fader, Hall of Famer Peter Gammons, uh, Mr. Gammons. It's a, it's an honor to have you on. How are you? Thanks for joining us today. I'm doing great, thank you. What it's it's it's, it's remarkable, really, what the A's have done, but. I, one of the reasons for the column is I, I think people have a tendency to forget what Oakland's been in baseball. I, I realize the ballpark is a serious issue. I, I understand all that. But at the same time, you know, this is the 51st year since the, they went to divisional play in 1969. And the only team that has more first-place finishes and more pennants and more World Series are the Yankees. The A's are actually tied with the Red Sox in each category, but um, I don't think people with the East Coast bias understand what the A's have been. It's been different generations. I mean, yeah. 72, 73, 74, they were great. But then, you know, the, the, the great 
um, Tony LaRusso, Ricky Henderson, uh, Dave Stewart teams. And then, you know, they, they've been really good at, at times in, in this century. So it's, uh, it's kind of fun to see. And the way they've come back and the way the team's starting to come together is absolutely fascinating. I mean, they're dangerous. Um, if they get in, get into the, uh, if they get past the wild card, and they end up in the, in the division series. I mean, Manaya looks like he's a legitimate front of the rotation starter, and they they find so many ways to use the bullpen. And you know, Bob Melvin is so good at doing this. It's it's a great story. I, I just I, it, 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 I have a lot of fun watching it. It is interesting, uh, Peter. And, and you mentioned you know uh, people on the East Coast kind of forget the success that the A's have had at times people in the A zone market kind of forget the, the, the success that the A's have had over the last, as you mentioned, you know, 50 plus years. Why do you think that is? Well, there've been some really ugly moments, <clears throat> obviously. I remember back um, right before the Haas family bought the team when they were, when they, uh, they drew 300,000 people in one, in one season, I think it was 79. But, um, you know, the Giants have obviously with three world championships, um, you know, sort of towered above them in certain ways. Um, and San Francisco is a different market. But it's, you know, what they've done and with the payrolls they've had has been um, really very interesting. And the way they know when to trade and when not to trade really interests me. But one thing about it, they don't tank. They try to win. And I think that's that's really important. They're forever, David Forrest and Billy Bean are forever looking for deals, upgrades. Um, I mean, you know, as, as I look at the MVP, I mean, who would have thought before the season that I'd be saying, is Marcus Semyon number three or number four in the MVP ballot? Right. I mean, to me, that's amazing. And he wasn't a very good player. Now, part of it is his work ethic, but it's also, you know, the Ron Washingtons and people who have worked with him. It's uh, just making the team better all the time. And, you know, no one should underestimate the that, that infield defense. At first base, shortstop, third base. I mean, they're a great defensive team. I completely agree with you. We're talking with Peter Gammons here on A's Cast Live. And talking about the 2019 A's season, uh, Peter, and one of the things I enjoyed most about your story uh, were the insights that you kind of get from Billy Bean, called this kind of a remarkable and enjoyable season. It sure is remarkable, uh, you know, the injuries, uh, Sean Manaya, Stephen Piscotty, uh, Matt Olson, the suspension to Frankie Montas, uh, Chris Davis uh, having a down season. But the enjoyable thought, the enjoyable part that uh, Billy Bean uh, mentioned, I, you know, I found kind of kind of interesting. Do you get the feeling that he enjoys this type of challenge? Oh, I, I definitely do. And I think that, that um, I think the fact that they've come back from having all those pitching injuries and are here, you know, I mean, it would take almost a miracle for the Indians to be able to get to get one of those berths. So, I mean, for them to be playing in the wild card game, um, which will be a lot of fun because Tampa's really good. Um, but, I mean, they won 97 games last year. I mean, it's, you know, this is no fluke. They've, instead of sitting back and saying, oh, to our fans, oh, in five years we're going to be good, we'll take – five good prospects out of the Dominican Summer League, they, they, they trade to try to get better. And they work to try to get better. And they, you know, there's no 
you know, we being mo- oh, we can't possibly uh, compete with the big market teams. Would they love to have, um, you know, uh, two and a half times their payroll like the Red Sox had? Yeah, but they're also going to win about 15 more games than the Red Sox are. And uh, I, I think that's, um, I, I just, I, I trust them to a lot of people in the organization. I mean, there's a lot of talk in Boston about what are they going to do uh, as far as who's going to run the baseball operations. Mm-hmm. It's a really difficult market. You're looking for someone with some experience, but there may not be anybody there. Um, so, you know, the, the, the general manager, president of baseball operations, is kind of a testy thing right now. If David Force weren't staying in, he's not moving from the Bay Area. We all understand that. If he were willing to move and go back to where he went to college or eight miles from where he went to college, um, I mean, the Red Sox would pay him unbelievable money. But, you know, that's not who he is. And, uh, you know, to me, he's one of the brightest people in the game. And, and you know, he's very happy where he is. And he's, he's stuck it out all the way with the A's. And uh, he and his family love San Francisco. It's incredible, isn't it? I mean, just the, the continuity of this player. And you, you wrote about this in your story, which I thought was fascinating, Peter. But the, the continuity of this pl- of the player evaluation staff, the infrastructure here with Oakland. I mean, you got names Eric Kubota, Keith Lippman, Billy Owens, David Forst. You know, under Billy Bean, those are some of the same names you were reading about in the book Moneyball, and they're still around and still, uh, you know, building a winner. You, you just talked about, it, you know, how that kind of contrasts to the Red Sox right now. But, you know, what factor does this play, this, this continuity in this franchise consistently building a contender despite all the obstacles you allude to, the stadium, the payroll, so on and so forth? I think continuity has, has quite a bit to do with it. I really do. I really believe that. Um, I see what happens with organizations that keep changing people. I mean, Keith Lippin's been there. It seems like he's been there since, uh, since Captain Sharger was pitching there. But um, <laughs> And Billy Owens is one of the best evaluators and one of the most joyous human beings I've ever known in my life. And I, I just I, I think that they know who they are and they know what they're looking for and they do what has to be done. And sometimes... You know, they'll make a trade and make a run and try to win it with John Lester, for instance. Um, and if it doesn't work, they don't go, oh, now we have to rebuild for six years. They move on to the next uh, situation. And um, it's, it is very different than what we see in Baltimore, in um, Kansas City, places like that where they say, oh, well, we're going to spend five years and rebuild. Miami, I mean... I think my, I think Derek Jeter thought it could come faster. I think he realizes now it's very difficult. But uh, um, I just think that they've they've done such a good job of that, and they're not afraid to just stick with the same people. This year's A's, uh, how do you compare them to the other teams that that have been built? You know, the Moneyball team, the 2012 to 14. How do how do you compare this group to the other contenders in the Billy Bean era? Um. Well, I mean, they have they have the three or four really good players, like those other teams. Um, first base, shortstop, third base. I mean, Chapman to me is one of the great stars in the game. Actually, when I was <clears throat> earlier today, I was driving, and they were talking about the A's on um, on MLB Network Radio, and 
uh, and the point was they were talking about how Chapman is a much better player than people. It's not just a, a dramatic two-run homer and another homer the next night. This is who he is. He's a great player. Um, and just Sevian's made himself a great player. Olsen is, is a gold glove first baseman who is a, a really good hitter. Uh, Canada's become a very good player. I, I'm amazed by his ability to play center field. And this is without, like you said, it's without Francis having a great year, but they they just stay with it and they don't give up. There's a, I do think there's a great deal of competitiveness in the A's. I mean, I always kid about this. Uh, I think I wrote about it um, when, when it looked like Billy was going to go to Boston. He was. He came and visited on Cape Cod where I live. And um, so we went with a, a friend of mine on his boat and, and we went over to this place to, to have lunch and uh, in the place for people bringing their boats in and everything. And, and um, I always get Billy's from California. What does he know about fish? But that's just, but, but anyway... So he orders something normal, squad or swordfish or something. They, this place has like the greatest lobster rolls on two pounds of lobster on this incredible Portuguese bread. And um, going back, Billy was kind of solemn. And my friend John Keenan, who was, it was his boat, he said, what's the matter, Billy? You all right? And he said, I just hate to be out-ordered. I mean, it's the only person I've ever known in my life that doesn't like to be out-ordered for dinner. And I love that competitiveness because it really defines who the A's are in a lot of ways. It almost, he'll, never, he'll, he'll never order Scrod or Swordfish again. Yeah. <laughs> it almost embodies kind of, you know, the, uh, I guess, the like we just talked about earlier, right, Peter? I mean, the underdog mentality that, that's come along with this, uh, with this franchise, but, you know, due to the fact that they've kind of been overlooked for so long. It really, I mean... You know, I, I was really lucky to be able to cover that 89 World Series. So we, we got the Bay Bridge. You know, obviously, it's a very memorable World Series for a lot of reasons. But at the same time, um, I'd like – I hope the A's could stay at Oakland. And I hope, you know, once again, before in my lifetime, I get to see an Oakland-San Francisco World Series. Because I, I have so many memories of that. I mean, just Dave Stewart, that we come back after what? Three weeks. Dave Stewart wins game three, so now it's three nothing. The A's are going to win the World Series. Next morning, he met me at the at the old Coliseum, and we drove down to deliver coffee and donuts to all the workers underneath uh, underneath the highway wow. um, where it was collapsed. And I just thought, you know what? This is this is one of the great stories. I mean, Dave Stewart will always be in my mind as. One of the one of the real heroes I've ever known, but this is in the middle of a World Series. He's just won Game Three. That's the second win in the series. He's obviously going to be the MVP. And there we got uh, underneath the Cypress structure, serving coffee and donuts to workers trying to search for bodies underneath. And that, you know, I mean, to anyone in any walk of life, that's something you never ever forget. And what makes that even cooler for me, Peter, I mean, I'm a native Oaklander as well. Dave Stewart is a native Oaklander. I mean, that's just, you know, it goes beyond baseball, right, when you talk about a story like that, especially the fact that this is Dave Stewart's hometown. I know. And I remember going to his house. And also, you know, I I remember how bad it was. Um, 
in the last days of Charlie Finley where the hammer was actually doing play-by-play on the phone in the back of the press box to Charlie back in Chicago. Um, and and uh, uh, then Roy Eisenhart and the Haas family took over, and they turned the ballpark into just a great place to be. I mean, I'll never forget going to a game and having a classical music night, you know, instead of playing uh, um, whatever was popular in 1982. They were playing classical music one night. It was like the coolest place. I mean, I thought that Roy really changed a lot of the way baseball marketed itself, the creativity and so forth. And what went on at that park at that time was just astounding. And, you know, unfortunately, Al Davis built up and we lost the lights of the Oakland Hills. But um, still, I mean, I did, my memories of what that, that place is. And I'll tell you, uh, what was it, five years ago when they played the Tigers in the ALDS. I mean, that was one of the loudest crowds I've ever heard. Now, they lost the fifth game. Justin Berlander is going to the Hall of Fame. We can forgive them for that. But that, that, that game four where Josh Donaldson hit the home run and the A's win, I mean, that was just, a, it was a, um, to me, it showed what Oakland could be with the right park and the right time. And, um, you know, they could have two cities. They could be Oakland yeah. and San Francisco. I, I'm still convinced of that. Well, that kind of leads me to my next uh, next question here, Peter, and we'll let you go after this. Thanks again for, for taking the time. We're talking to Peter Gammons here on, on A's Cast Live. The A's may get another home game in, in the playoffs this season. It may be more than one. What is your take here on the on the on the playoffs on the playoff picture here in the American League? With the, it's looking like I mean, as you said, the Indians are kind of hanging on by a thread. The A's and the Rays are right there, the three division winners. You know, what what's your what's your overall outlook on the AL postseason picture? I think that first game, um, in the first playoff game, which would be um, Morton against Manaya. Is absolutely fascinating. Charlie Morton right now is—he's not Garrett Cole, he's not Justin Verlander, but he's in the top five pitchers in the American League. And Manaya, since he's come back, has been almost unhittable. I mean, that has a chance to be a truly great game, probably decided um, in the ninth inning by a home run. I mean, off a of off a reliever. I—I I think that has a chance to be great. I have so much admiration too for Tampa and how good they've been. They won 90 games last year. They keep rebuilding that team with a very small um, payroll, but they've got tons of pitching and big-time arms. And um, I think that can be great. And then, you know, wherever you go from there, uh, I presume it would be having to play Houston, which isn't easy. But when people ask me, what about the legitimacy of the A's? They beat the Yankees four out of six. They beat the Astros six out of eight down the stretch. That's what for me. He's one of the best there is. He's the Hall of Fader, Peter Gammons. Mr. Gammons, thank you so much again for taking time. And uh, hopefully we see you down the road at the Coliseum for, uh, for uh, a special game at some point. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. That is Peter Gammons, uh, the Hall of Famer, joining us here on A's Cast Live. And uh, if you get a chance to read his story, on the Athletic, it's titled "Despite Everything, the Oakland A's Remain a Quiet Powerhouse." It is an incredible, and one of the stories that 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 Peter alluded to that we didn't really get to to get to, and a lot of people forget this, but in 2002, Billy Bean for a few hours had accepted uh, the Boston Red Sox, at least verbally, uh, the Boston Red Sox general manager job, and uh, remained in Oakland and 
And we've seen where it's gone from there. Um, and the A's appear on the verge of another postseason berth. All right, we'll take a break here on A's Cast Live. When we come back, the A's are right there on the cusp. We'll look at uh, yesterday's ball game and where the A's are going from here. Matt Chapman just broke out of a slump. We'll talk about that next on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Alex Jensen. How great was that, huh? Peter Gammons on A's Cast Live. I remember watching Peter Gammons on Baseball Tonight when I was a kid. I mean, an absolute legend. I'm Alex Jensen. This is A's Cast Live. On sale now. Postseason tickets are on sale now. It's time to pack the town. Single-game tickets for the A's potential wild card and American League Division Series home games are on sale now. This is your chance to hear the Coliseum roar. You just heard Peter Gammons talk about it. Everyone should experience the magic of postseason baseball here in the Bay Area. Tell your friends, grab the family, be a part of the magic that is playoff baseball in Oakland. Head to athletics.com slash postseason. We need your help to pack the town. That uh, potential postseason game at the Coliseum is coming up next week on Wednesday. So keep your, um, at least at this point, it looks like you should be keeping your that day uh, clear to catch some A's baseball because the A's magic number right now after a 3-1 to one win against the Mariners is now one to reach the postseason. So any combination of an A's win or an Indian's loss will send the A's back into the wild card game this season. And with the Rays off yesterday and the A's owning the tiebreaker over Tampa Bay, the A's magic number to clinch home field for that wild card. Now, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, of course. you still got to get there. And an a, Again, an A's win or a Cleveland loss, and the A's will be in the wild card game. So you don't want to get ahead of yourself, certainly. But the magic number for the A's to clinch home field and have that home game at the Coliseum, and we can see this place rocking uh, like you heard from Peter Gammons. I mean, there, listen, there's, there's not many baseball environments, if any, like the Oakland Coliseum when it's full. I've been there. I mean, it's plenty of times. I haven't been there yet as an employee, which I'm sure will be crazy. Uh, but I've been there plenty of times as a fan. And there is there are not a whole lot of atmospheres like it. It's incredible. Um, anyway, the A's magic number. So now any combination of two A's wins, you know, or two A's losses or an A's win and a Rays loss, the A's will have a home, uh, home field advantage for the wild card game. Uh, so that is exciting. The Rays are, are playing at Toronto tonight. And Cleveland is at the Nationals. Now, the Nationals still have something to play for. The Brewers are right behind uh, Washington in the, in the National League wild card. In fact, uh, the Brewers right now are just one game behind Washington for the National League wild card. And Milwaukee this weekend is at Colorado. Uh, so, anyway, the point being is that the Nationals have something to play for here against Cleveland. And Cleveland is literally hanging on by a thread. I mean, there's still two games behind Tampa as well with three to play. But the A's do have the tiebreaker over both of these teams, so keep that in mind. Uh, the A's this September have gone 17-6 and six to put themselves in this situation. And how about a 667 winning percentage since May 16th? I mean, we talked about it a lot, but this team has just been on fire since Matt Olson came back to the lineup. That, that May 16th date, by the way, that was the date uh, the A's went out to Detroit to begin that series in which they had uh, that delayed game. Uh, which or that suspended game, I should say, which was continued at the Coliseum earlier uh, this month. I mean, they have been uh, that's the that their record since May 16th, by the way, that 667 winning percentage, I should say. That is the best in baseball entering Thursday and now entering Friday. It's also the best in baseball because they won uh, today. OK, let's let's talk about Matt Chapman. 
Matt Chapman, you heard you heard Peter Gammons. This is from a national perspective, obviously. Matt Chapman is is one of the more and you could really say this for a lot of A's. I mean, Marcus Simeon, you know, Matt Olson, shoot, Mark Hanna. Um, but Matt Chapman is one of the more underappreciated players in all of baseball. By the way, the commander has just has just potted up the uh, the Indians and Nationals game that is uh, in the bottom of the second right now, a scoreless game. I'll keep you updated there. Zach Plesak is on the mound for Cleveland. But uh, Matt Chapman entered Wednesday's game against the Angels in September, okay, hitting 123. And the A's in that time were 16-6 and six with Chapman hitting 123. I mean, the amount of things that the A's have overcome this year is unbelievable. But that, that's kind of been a nutshell for you right there. You know, the, the guy that's the, the, their budding national superstar hitting 123, and this team still finds a way to go 16-6. and six. Kind of like that competitive spirit that Peter Gammons talked about that Billy Bean has, right? Well, Matt Chapman was in a long slump, and of course he broke out of that long slump with a home run to center field to put the A's in, in the lead uh, in the top of the ninth inning in Anaheim on Wednesday to split that, that series. Uh, the Indians had lost that day. The A's at that point coming into that game were just a half game ahead of the Rays and a, and a game ahead of Cleveland. But Matt Chapman said something after the game that, and you know, I, I get to pick up on all this stuff because I listen to all the sound for, for A's all night. Uh, but he said that the at-bat before that, okay, the at-bat before that kind of unlocked something for him. And if you remember the at-bat before that for Matt Chapman, the, the home run to center field in Anaheim, which was a bomb. I mean, it was uh, that thing was on a line well over the center field fence. But he had a line drive off the pitcher, and it ended up being an infield single after, uh, after review. Uh, if you remember, Matt Chapman was actually called out at first base. They went to review, overturned it. But he said he, f- he felt something unlock. And then in his next at-bat, you know, he hits the ball over the fence, the same part of the field. Yesterday, Chapman goes one for three, and he homers in his second at-bat. To where? The middle of the field. So, Matt Chapman, listen, when you're struggling, yeah, I, I saw the same thing kind of from Sean Murphy in his past 0 for 20, I think it was before a base hit through the right side uh, last night. But when you're struggling, I mean, you it, it gets to be a mental thing. You know, that, that's kind of what we saw on Wednesday when the A's were, I think they were 1 for 12 with runners in scoring position. I mean, when it goes at bat to at bat to at bat to at bat, it really grinds on you. And you really, at, at certain times, you really, you really try hard, harder and harder and harder uh, to to break out of that slump, which might mean pulling the ball more, you know, trying to hit the ball over the fence. What Matt Chapman has done is made the adjustment to let the ball travel and understand that he can hit the ball hard in the middle of the field and let good things come where they may. Listen, this guy's got a quick enough bat to pull a mistake, without a doubt. And, you know, a lot of times you hear some of these guys, you know, well, maybe not so much anymore, but when they hit home runs, it's almost a mistake sometimes. Okay, we're being joined now by uh, C.J. Nitkowski. He's a broadcaster with the Rangers. He's also a host on uh, MLB Network Radio. C.J., thanks for taking the time, man. I, I really appreciate it. It's a fun time of year, isn't it? It is a fun time of year, and it's always great that when we have just three games to go in our season that everything is not settled. We love that. Oh, it's, it's the best. I mean, you got, like you said, three games to go. The National League playoff picture is set, but the Nationals right now – playing Cleveland they're only a game ahead of the Brewers and the American League I mean especially up until a couple days ago 
absolute chaos uh, in the wild card picture with Cleveland and the A's, of course, and uh, and Tampa Bay. When you look at that wild card race and those three teams kind of vying for that uh, that spot, CJ, what comes to mind with each one? Which one of these teams has a better chance to make a run? Yeah, so that's a, that's a tough one. So the Rangers just played the A's, and we saw them in six games. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, and I thought they looked really good. And getting Sean Mania back has been a huge boost for them. Uh, the surprise of Homer Bailey and his performance, and a couple of bad starts in there, but other than that, he's actually been really, really good. Uh, different names in the bullpen, right? Same kind of story as last year where the bullpen was also doing some really big things, um, but different names this time around for the most part. But i, I got to tell you, the thing that jumps out at me watching them this year um, is a couple of guys that have really emerged. I mean, not just the kind of good big leaguers, but kind of to that next status a little bit. It's been pretty amazing to watch. So Ramon Laureano, as an example, even Mark Canna, Marcus Simeon. Uh, obviously, we already knew about Matt Olson and Matt Chapman, but to see how many guys have, have kind of taken a next step. And then there are other pieces that I think kind of sneak up on you a little bit. Like watching a guy like Chad Pinder, might be, he's a little underrated playing defense. Like He can surprise you. He's got a really good arm. Um, and so the other little the pieces and the tools that we have and seeing uh, Noisy and what he has done and, of course, all those young pitchers in the bullpen as well that may get a chance. Uh, I, I said it when we had our we were calling our games when we were in Oakland. I said you were trying to look at these three teams and saying who could, you know, who could want to, you know, got to win that wild card game, which, of course, anything can happen. But who's got the best chance at really making a run deep into the postseason? And it's tough. It's really difficult. And we sit there and we try to guess and we – we do our best to, to analyze a roster and say this is why I think it's going to be this team. But I really believe that any of them could do it, but I really do like the A's possibilities. Um, the Indians have some really good starting pitching. You certainly mm-hmm. can ride that. They've done that before. They wrote some starting pitching um, to the World Series in the past, and we know that the Rays do it a little bit differently uh, and use their entire roster. I mean, literally, and they have a whole second team on their bench right now in September carrying nine guys uh, on that bench in a really deep bullpen. So everyone does it a little bit different, but they're all really good teams. That's why they're in the position they are. If I had to pick one, and I, you know, I'm not, certainly not betting the house on it, but I do like the Oakland A's. I'm not just saying that because I'm talking to you. I said it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I do think that they, they have the possibility, uh, if they can get past that wild card game, that's a big if. It's a tough one. Yeah. Um, but to get into a division series, I think they can make a run. Well, especially if they've got to face what, I mean, you know, obviously the Indians are, are kind of hanging on by a thread right now, CJ. But if it does come down yeah. to Manaya against, and it, it sounds like the Rays are going to go with Charlie Morton. I mean, he is a tough customer. He is, and it was really his story is a good one. Just kind of watching him over the last couple of years, thinking that he might have been done, uh, and then all of a sudden the Astros gave him a two-year deal a couple of years ago. He was hoping to just get a big league deal, and then the Astros. You got to give them a lot of credit. That, you know, listen, we're both in that American League West, and they're frustrating to watch because they're so good. Yeah. Uh, but they really did see something in Charlie Morton um, that nobody else saw, and they went out and they got him on a two-year deal, and he outperformed that two-year deal, and he turned that into another contract with uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. Good high fastballs, really good breaking ball, good command. I mean, he's just a notch below these Cy Young contenders right now, and not by much. That would be a fun one to watch. I got to tell you that watching Sean Knight, it's fun to watch because. He doesn't overpower you. Right. He's ultra competitive. Uh, he's funky, and um, and he's got no fear. And you know he's, he's pitched so well since he's come back from the IL. He's he's a fun guy to watch because he does it a little bit differently, also. Well, you pitched. I mean, and you you know, I mean, Sean Maniah, like you said, isn't isn't going to break ninety one on most days. In fact, he's he's going to operate in in eighty nine. You know, the eighty nine to ninety range is, is the way that he's doing this. CJ is. It's kind of a lost start, it seems like, in the big leagues right now with so many power arms. But, 
I mean, his off-speed stuff really makes his fastball play up, and they, they, he really works those two off each other well, doesn't he? He does, and I think that's one of the things, one of the advantages to data now for pitchers. I was actually just telling my wife this a couple of hours ago, just the way that you can evaluate yourself with some of the data that you have. And so, and, you know, a good organization can go through your sequences and tell you why your fastball will play better in this location, followed by your changeup or whatever it may be. And not that we didn't know those things beforehand, but there's a little bit more of a science to it now. And there's a little bit more absolutes and there's more data. You can say, here's what happens when you do this, and this is what it looks like, or this is the perceived velocity as opposed to the actual um, velocity. And at the end of the day, you still have to pitch, right? I mean, there's a lot of guys, a lot of great velocities. We're almost to the point where we're numb to 98 now. Not, I don't think we're quite there yet, but we're getting pretty close. Like, oh, you know, another 98, another 100. Um, but you still have to go out there and pitch because we've seen guys with power stuff that light up the radar gun that don't get it done consistently. Of course, the best combination is the power arm with a deep repertoire, and you can pitch, meaning you can hit your spots, you can mix speeds really well, you can throw your off-speed pitches for strikes. But there's still room in this game uh, for guys like Sean Maniah. I mean, obviously he's pitching really well, but you don't have to light up the radar gun, but you do know how have, you, you got to know how to pitch. Uh, you got to know what your strengths and weaknesses are. Um, you got to be able to adjust to what the game is telling you, uh, where we are with that, a certain type of swing types. Okay, well, this guy's got this kind of swing. That means my stuff works this way. This guy's like, that kind of swing. I got to go a different route. Um, all of that stuff is really, really important, but you don't have to be a power pitcher uh, to survive in this game. You have to be a power pitcher uh, even to be a number one starter, which is still refreshing to see. You mentioned something interesting with some of the, you know, some of the unsung guys on this on this A's club, and it gets me to thinking about other guys like, you know, like a Seth Brown or a Sheldon Noisy or a Sean sure. Murphy, Jesus Lazar, all these guys that have been called up within the last couple of months. You've been there, CJ. How hard is it? As a rookie, just just being called up, just thrown into the mix, to step right into a pennant race and produce the way these guys have. Yeah, it's pretty wild. You know, I had that experience in the middle of 1995. I got called up to the day that I got drafted. So I was drafted June 3rd of 94. I made my debut June 3rd of 95 for a team that was in first place. Uh, Jose Rio, the, the great right-hander, went down. They needed a spot filled in the rotation. I got thrown right into it. And, um, you know, it, I think it's easier these days a little bit. Um, there was no spring training my year, so I literally did not know anybody. I started the season in double A. It was during the strike year, so I went in and was meeting all of these guys for the very first time. There's so much more uh, information and exposure that's out there now. I think it helps a little bit. Um, it seems to me like more and more young players are confident and comfortable pretty early, and you have less of that veteran group that's you know trying to, quote-unquote, kind of keep rookies in their place. Right? The idea of being a rookie and being seen and not heard has kind of gone away. Uh, to some degree. And so it's more of like, hey, how can we make this guy comfortable because we need him to help us win? And so I think the environment from that standpoint has certainly gotten better. I think also going back to what these guys have done as amateurs, uh, as we get all the, you know, kind of get into the showcase generation, they're, they're used to kind of being in some bigger spots, much more so than generations before them. So I do think they're more comfortable, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's easy either. I mean, you still have work to do. You still got to prove to yourself that you belong at this level. Uh, but I think you have a better support system than you've ever had. And I watch guys like A.J. Puck and Jesus Lazardo, and you never know what's going on on the inside. Uh, but on the outside, they, they look pretty confident and comfortable in their spots. That, that game that Lazardo got that save, it was actually against the Rangers, and watched him run into right. a little bit of trouble in that eighth inning. It was a three-inning save that he got. And I was like, oh, you know what, maybe he's not going to get this three-inning save, and he did it save, and he did a nice job and watch him work out of it. Those are the things that Bob Melvin wants to see, right? It's one thing when a guy comes up and just flat-out dominates, what you really need to see is see him struggle a little bit. 
and see how he reacts. You get a much better read, on, I think, of what you're dealing with, especially for rookies. And he did really well, and he ended up finishing um, that game out. And so those are the things that, that he wants to see. And he's lucky because, as you mentioned, all the, the old pieces are talking about he's got some fun toys to play with and probably a, a couple of tough decisions to make come roster time. How important is it to gain home field advantage in a, in a one-game, you know, winner-take-all scenario like the wild card game? So I thought it was a bigger deal than it really is because I say that all the time, right? You want to have it in your back pocket, that ability to walk it off, right? It's always nice whether it's a game seven or a game five in a DS or a wild card game that depending on how it goes, you expect the game to be close. You'd love to have the opportunity to walk it off. And as I was saying that the other day, doing a show on MLB Network Radio, my producer sent me a, a G chat and she says, uh, well, home teams are six and eight in the wild card game. Wow, so really? it may not be as important uh, as we think, but it certainly feels like it's important. So it's almost like a little security blanket, I think, in the back of your mind. You don't want to have to win the game in the ninth inning. But in case you do, uh, you do have that opportunity. So when you think about teams with good bullpens, like imagine a, a Rays, uh, A's matchup, right? And maybe the game stays close. And once you get to the fifth inning, if it's right there, you expect it to go down to the wire. seems to me like it would be nice to have. I, I do think the A's have a different kind of home field advantage because they have a pretty unique fan base. Um, it's a different atmosphere than everywhere else. It's unfortunate they're as far away from the field as they are but they still have an impact and it is a different field. It's a fun fan base and, and they certainly know how to at least try to intimidate the opponent a little bit, which we don't see in our sport a ton. Um, but I think they do have something special uh, going on over there in Oakland. It'll be even better once they get that new stadium, hopefully. So you, you spent your, your uh, season, obviously CJ with the Rangers. And I, I got a chance to talk to your colleague, Eric Nadell uh, last weekend when you guys were in town, a nine win improvement this year already for, for Texas, obviously with still uh, three games to play. What's worked this season in Arlington? What and, and what hasn't? What what's been the impact of of the new manager Chris Woodward? Yeah, so a lot there. I mean, he comes to the Dodgers, so he comes from a winning organization that just saw a couple of World Series. Also, a pretty heavy uh, data driven organization. I think one that we look at from the outside and feel like they have a leg up maybe on a couple of teams. They obviously also have resources, but um, you know, smart front office like a lot of the teams are nowadays, as everyone's kind of playing catch up. But the ideas that he had coming in. Um, I think we're good. Uh, the coaching staff that he brought in with him, everyone kind of getting on the same page and understanding workflow uh, and how they relay information probably took a little bit of time. And, uh, you know, Woody actually just commented on this the other day and said, you know what, it was a real feel-out process early on, especially in spring training. Well, now spring training day one, we hit the ground running because you guys know exactly how I do things and I have a real feel for how you want to do things and, and there shouldn't be that get-to-know-you time period. Um, there were a couple of guys that maybe struggled with, you know, how they were trying to teach things and, and figuring, okay, when do I go back to what I, what I always relied on? How much can I trust the new uh, style and information of the coaching staff? That, 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 that time period and that feel-out period didn't go as great for everybody, um, but there was a lot of positives, too. I think a lot of young arms that we got to see. Emmanuel Classe is a real fun one, uh, a guy who was touching 102 miles an hour but throwing strikes with a ton of confidence. Uh, nothing is straight. Uh, when you throw 102 and it's not straight and you can throw strikes, um, you get pretty excited about an arm like that. A couple of young stars like Colby Allard showed some really good things. Uh, I just mentioned about rookies being comfortable and not scared. He was really impressive in that regard. Had some very nice starts uh, against some good teams. So there was a, there's a lot going on. There was definitely some positives. Joey Gallo, prior to getting hurt, was on the MVP track this year. He probably benefited the most um, from what they were trying to teach in Texas this year, especially from the hitting standpoint with Calix Crab and Luis Ortiz, the hitting coaches there. And it was unfortunate he was oblique, and the performance went down, and then the handmaid pretty much just took away the rest of the season. But he was an all-star, hit the home run in the all-star game, 
uh, that was a really nice big step um, for Joey Gallo, and, and everyone's looking forward to him picking up where he left off in 2020. But there was a lot of positive, obviously, when you, you finish under 500 and you don't go to the postseason, there's a lot to be disappointed in. But I think based on where the Rangers were, uh, the ideas that they had, they got some of those implemented, and that feel-out process, it's never going to be as smooth as everybody wants it to be, um, but they used that year, I think, to get where they needed to be. And Everyone has a real clear understanding of what the expectations are, uh, both from a performance standpoint, but then also from a work standpoint. And they expect to get those things done, obviously, even before spring training starts, but really um, no getting to know you and no bumps in the road comes spring training time. Uh, there was a lot of talk earlier this season about, uh, you know, the unwritten rules, right, with the whole Madison Bumgarner deal and uh, – you know, what have you. But it happened again last night, CJ. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about your your, uh, sure. your thoughts on the Mike Miner situation and Alex Cora's reaction to the uh, to the drop pop-up in foul territory and then Mike Miner picking up his 200 strikeout. What, what's your whole take? What's your take on that whole situation? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was pretty funny. I thought it was entertaining. <laughs> yeah. You know, I always say this, right, because we sit there. It doesn't matter even for a guy like myself who played. I don't play anymore, right? So as far as unwritten rules go, I don't get to decide what those are. You know, the 750 guys that are active every night in the big leagues, and it's September, so it's a lot more than that. But when your roster's those guys, the active players, they decide what the rules are. And you're never going to make everybody happy, right? You, you brought up Madison Bumgarner, I think, is a really good example. You will never, ever convince Madison Bumgarner that he should be okay with bat flips. It's just never going to happen. Right. right? Even though fans may enjoy it, it's kind of fun, and that's okay. You, don't, you can't tell people how to feel, whether it's in baseball or out of baseball, especially when it's a natural reaction um, in the heat of the moment. So they decide, you know, kind of what those unwritten rules are. But specific to last night, you know, it, there was a lot of gamemanship going on. And part of it was, first of all, yes, no doubt, Mike Miner was trying to get to 200 strikeouts, and he needed nine going into that game. And his swings and misses had gone down a little bit in September, so we weren't all that optimistic that he could get there. And all of a sudden, he got off to a pretty good start, especially against the Red Sox, right? It's a good offense, and punches out a bunch of guys early, and you're like, oh, he might have a chance. And he gets really close in that seventh inning, and Chris Woodward actually wanted to take him out. Um, and there was, I think he was two away. And the pitch count was getting really high. And Mike Minus, this is his first full year starting. Last year, they backed him off a little bit. This was the first year where they were not holding him back from a pitch count standpoint, an inning standpoint at all. And, of course, there's concerns about that because he had those shoulder issues a few years ago. And Woody actually went to go take him out of the game. He took a couple of steps, and he got a look from Mike Minus and said, no way I'm staying in this game. And he went back into the dugout because he already visited once. And Mike Miner strikes out the next guy. So then you go to this eighth inning. He's like, all right, go ahead, go back out there. And the Boston Red Sox down by two in the eighth inning, swinging a first pitch three times, and he has a three-pitch inning. Just the third time this year that there's been a, a three-pitch inning. It's the first time the Red Sox did it since 2005. So there's gamemanship on their part. Don't right. tell me that they were playing that game to win. That's BS, right? They, they knew. And part of it was Brock Holt, and I, I didn't call that game, but just watching it and then listening to some comments afterwards that Brock Holt, when he popped up, uh, kind of looked in the dugout and laughed a little bit. Like, everyone's having fun with it. Like, we know what you're trying to do, and we're going to try to stop you. And that's fine. Right? So I think once they decide that they're going to swing at the first pitch three batters in a row and make three outs and not care about winning the game but just try to not let Mike Lanner strike you out, then it's, then it's game on. And now the idea of dropping it is exactly the way you want to go that foul pop-up in the ninth inning. No, and I'm sure we wish it didn't happen that way. But at the same time, if you do it again, I say he lets it drop based on what happened the inning before. And so Alex, who I love and known for a long time and is a great manager, you know, he was ticked off. He didn't like it. But at the same time, don't lie to us and tell us that your team wasn't trying to prevent the strikeout. So at, at that point, turnabout, in my opinion, is fair play. 
and uh, good luck to everybody. I mean, that's super risky for them to do that, right? Mike Miner's at 122 pitches at that point. He had set a career high in his last start of the year. Like, that's a little risky on his part. He's like, no, what? I want to do it. Don't catch it. I want to try to get another strikeout. And he did, and it was probably a ball, but that's fine too. And uh, that's just kind of the way that goes. But to me, and I'm on the outside, so I'm not in the middle of that, you know, all the intensity. But I say have some fun with it. It's not a big deal. You tried to stop him, and then he tried to still get that strikeout, and, and that's just kind of the way that goes. And if you know, you're upset about it, that's fine. And like I said, I don't go back to telling people how they should feel. But let's be honest with each other. You were trying to do something. He was trying to do something. And in the end, he won out. Yeah, especially if it goes both ways. Um, hey, CJ, before yeah. I let you go, uh, I, I saw – did I see this right? You played in Fukuoka, Japan? I did, yes. Two uh, years in Japan and then another two in Korea. That's so cool. I, I had a friend that uh, that played in Fukuoka. I actually went out there to visit him a couple of years ago. How did you like playing out there? I absolutely loved it. I mean, I was near the end of my career. I just played a little longer than I thought. Uh, but hung on, um, you know, I was done. I spent a full year in AAA the year before in 2006. Got a chance to go to Japan for two years, and it was so fantastic. Uh, they treat you really well. I mean, there's some challenges, no doubt, but if you go over there, I tell guys all the time, with an open mind, don't expect it to be the big leagues, but understand there's, number one, the most important, there's a real good opportunity to get paid, extend your career a little bit longer. More and more guys are coming back from Japan on guaranteed contracts, Miles Michaelis and uh, we just saw Merrick Kelly come over from right. Korea with a nice contract. Chris Martin uh, with the Braves and was with the Rangers. Like, there's great opportunities for your career. It used to be once you went over there, you know, a decade or so ago, you're not coming back. But that has changed. Um, my kids went to school there. Um, it was fantastic. I absolutely loved it. And Fukuoka, as I'm sure you got to experience, is a great city. It's a little bit different because you get a beach city um, in Japan, which doesn't happen too often when you look around where most of the teams are situated in Japan. But it, it was an absolute delight. Uh, I loved it. What a great life experience. And I tell guys all the time, if you get the chance and you're on the fence and not exactly sure where your career is, take the guaranteed money, go over with an open mind, and then have some fun and get some great life experience. CJ Nikowski, I appreciate the time, sir. Uh, in, enjoy the last few days and the postseason, and I'm sure we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Take care. My pleasure. CJ Nikowski, a host of uh, MLB Network Radio, his show on MLB Network Radio, also a broadcaster with the Rangers. Yeah, if you get a chance to go to Japan and take in a baseball game, I highly recommend you do it. It is uh, it is something that not everyone gets to do. Okay, well, you heard CJ Nikowski, you heard uh, Peter Gammons talk about it. Well, who starts the wild card game for the A's? We'll talk about it next on A's Cast Live. <laughs> Broadcasting from the town, A's Cast Live continues. Certainly the matchup will come into play. Who's, uh, you know, and then listen, you don't want to get ahead of yourselves. But the good thing about the, the one who doesn't start that game is the other one would be available, you know, when, when you go forward. So uh, it's kind of the, uh, the, it's a good problem to have trying to decide. But, you know, that being said, it's, you know, Sean has been almost perfect since he's come back. And, uh, you know, I'd say right now, if, if, if he's having to start that first game, I think we'd all feel good. But we'd also feel good if Mike started that game, too. That is Billy Bean on Susan Slusser's A's Plus podcast. This is A's Cast Live. I'm Alex Jensen. And it certainly is an interesting question, isn't it? Who starts the wild card game for the A's? Should they reach it? And right now their magic number is one. Cleveland is tied with the Nationals 2-2 two to two in Washington as we speak. Actually, the Nationals jumped up 2-0. Cleveland has responded in the top of the third uh, with two of their own. But who starts that game? I think it certainly depends on the matchup, as, as Billy Bean alluded to. Uh, and there's some interesting information out there regarding both Fires and Manai. I think it's, there's no doubt that it's down to two. 
The first code word uh, for the MLB prize pack, by the way, has been posted on AthleticsCast24 on Twitter. So if you're looking for that MLB prize pack, uh, that first there are three code words that you, can, that you need to text into the text line after the third one is released. Am I right, Commander? That you text into 510-897-132. You text all three, you get the prize pack? That's correct. We'll go, we gave out the first one already. Second one we'll go, you'll give out on the show at the top of the hour. And the third one we'll give out somewhere right before buying or selling. Towards the end of the show on Twitter, once you get all three code words, you text them into the text line, and uh, we'll pick two winners, and uh, we'll go from there. Also, score update, uh, the Rays are up 2 nothing, top of the third. Tommy Pham with a two-run homer against the Blue Jays. So, Jays down 2 nothing to the Rays. We got a 2-2 game in Washington, bottom of the third. And Pete Alonzo, the polar bear, the polar bear, has tied the rookie home run record with 52 that Aaron Judge just said two years ago. So a lot of stuff going on in the last couple minutes. Wow. They think he gets it? Oh, yeah. He's probably well, right. Well, I mean, Mickey Calloway, who's probably on his way out, there was reports that he's probably not going to come back, saying that they might pad, they might start using him in, in the leadoff spot just so he gets more bats to break the record. Uh, is that against the unwritten rules, or should we? are we going to start yelling about that too? Or <laughs> I'm so done with the unwritten rules, man, especially last night. I mean, you're with C.J. Nikowski. That – that's a meaningless game, you know, especially if there's gamesmanship going both ways. Like, who cares? You know, I mean, whatever. Whatever. I'm not like like CJ said, I'm not a, I'm not a player. So I really don't need to worry about the unwritten rules, I guess. Right. I get I get to just sit here and be annoyed by them. I guess that's how it goes. OK, so interesting topic of conversation. And if you've been listening to, uh, you know, A's Clubhouse when I've been in for townie, this has been a subject of conversation for the last week, week and a half. Uh, the last handful of shows that I've done, uh, you know, during A's post game, this this has been a topic of conversation. That's who starts the wild card game. Listen, the A's, their magic number is down to one. If Cleveland loses today, before the A's even take the field, the Oakland A's are back in the postseason. They're going to the wild card game. So who starts that game? I think most people have, you know, come to the conclusion that it's either Shaw Manaya or Mike Fires. You know, Manaya has been. Both guys have been great. Now, there's questions with each. You know, Manaya has five starts. He hasn't pitched that much this year. He's coming off of shoulder surgery. That's no minor surgery. Any surgery to your shoulder is no minor surgery. Those are the toughest ones for a pitcher to come back from. So, the, you know, the questions are fair. How, how deep into the ball game can he go? You know, does he have postseason experience? Mike Fires doesn't have much either, but he has some. But he's been outstanding this year. He's 4-0 with a 1-2-1 ERA, Sean Manaya. But as I mentioned, he has not pitched in the postseason yet. He has less experience than Mike Fires does. Manaya at home, 18-12 with a 3-5-9 ERA and 43 starts. On the other hand, Mike Fires, I mean, he's been the leader of this rotation all year long. He has earned the right to pitch in this game. He's 15-4. He's, he's got a 3-9-1 ERA. Career at the Coliseum, if the A's do pitch at home, better than Sean Manaya's numbers. He's 13-3 and and 28 starts at the Coliseum. If the A's do play at home with a 3.04 ERA in 162 and two-thirds innings pitched. That's a lot of innings at the Coliseum, by the way. He's got two no-hitters. He's pitched in the big moments. He goes tonight for the final time in the regular season. Both these guys would be on regular rest to pitch on Wednesday. On five, on five days rest in his career, Mike Fires is 28 and 23 with a 3.91 ERA but this season on 5 days rest he is 11 and 1 
Seven career starts against the Rays. He's 2-2 two and two with a 4-4-3 ERA. This year against the Rays, he is 1-0 with a 2-2-5 ERA. So who makes this start? Now, there's an interesting piece written by uh, Shana Rubin, who covers the A's for the Bay Area News Group and particularly the Mercury News. And you heard Billy Bean alluding to the fact that it may just be Sean Manaya in a possible wild card game should the A's reach it. Well, if the A's do play Tampa Bay, and and listen, like I said, Cleveland is hanging on by a thread. The Rays are on fire right now. The Rays are up 2-0 against Toronto. Toronto's one of the worst teams in the big leagues. I know they got some young talent, but that certainly looks like a series that the Rays, uh, you know, you would think would win. Not only are the Indians playing a contender in the Nationals, but they're playing in a National League park. And American League clubs, you know, if you've followed interleague play don't normally fare well in National League parks. Of course, if the, if the Indians lose one game, they have no chance to catch the A's, and the A's are in the postseason. So let's assume that it is the A's and the Rays. Well, who pitches? Well, this piece by Shana Rubin, and looking at Tampa Bay's numbers against left-handers, and you would think that Manaya would get the call there. Let's consider some of Tampa Bay's top hitters. If we go to their lineup, I'll tell you exactly where they're hitting today for the Rays. G-Man Choi, not in the lineup for Tampa today, given the day off. He's one of the, but he is one of their top hitters, G-Man Choi. Uh, who else here? Austin Meadows led the league in, hit, in hitting for a long time. He is also left-handed. He's hitting second uh, for Tampa Bay today behind another left-handed hitter, Joey Wendell, who is hitting leadoff today. Kevin Kiermeyer is in the middle of that Rays lineup. He's hitting uh, eighth tonight, but you know he'll be in there because of his defense in center field. Brandon Lau was an all-star this season. He's hitting 273 with plenty of power. He's also left-handed. So you got five guys there, five guys that you would think would be in the lineup. That's more than half of a lineup. Five guys that would be in the lineup for the Rays against a potential wild-card game against the A's. Well, if you look at their splits against right-handers and left-handers, uh, it really favors, if you look at Fires versus Manaya, it really favors a lefty if you're going to match up. And that's what you're playing here. You're playing one game. You have to play the percentages. You don't win this game, you're going home. So G-Man Choi is hitting 270 against righties with an 850 OPS, 210 against lefties with a 629 OPS. That guy has kind of been the heart and soul of that Tampa Bay lineup at times, hasn't he? I mean, he's had a lot of big hits for them including over the last week or so. He's got a uh, 75 uh, weighted runs created plus against lefties, 128 weighted runs created plus against righties. Big difference there for G-Man Choi as well. Let's look at Brandon Lau in that same stat. Weighted runs created plus, 141 against righties, and almost half that against lefties at 76. So he's not nearly as productive against left-handed hitters. He's hitting cleanup today for the Rays in a pennant race. Joey Wendell, he's batting 132 against lefties, 258 against righties. Austin Meadows, he's found more success against left-handers, but he's still hitting 277 against left-handers with an 838 OPS, still pretty good. But against right-handers, he's 301 with a 964 OPS. So you look at these guys, and, you know, I mean, if you're flipping a coin, if it's if it's that close of a decision right now between Manaya and Fires. How do you not go Manaya if you're taking on the Rays? Okay, joining us on the phone now here on A's Cast Live, he is Mariners broadcaster uh, Dave Sims. Dave, let me ask you, I mean, you, you have seen the A's play all season. You've seen him play for a few years now. you got to win one game. 
hypothetically in a wild card game? Are you starting Mike Fires? Are you starting Sean Mania? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I think. Wow, that's. A, I think I go with Mania. I like what he's done. I liked. Uh, I liked what he did last night. Uh, I hadn't seen him. You know, obviously he's just he's recently back. He goes six innings, four hits, one run. I'd go with him, but looks like uh, you know you're going to be super competitive with either guy. Right. Does it matter that much? What do you make of the whole? Because this is another viable strategy for the A's in a possible wild card game, right? What do you make of the whole kind of piggybacking strategy with throwing Jesus Lazardo out there? You just saw him last night, or a Chris Bassett. Uh, what do you make of that whole strategy? Is that viable for one game? Yeah, why not? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I thought the Lazardo kid threw the ball really well. I was impressed. I, I don't remember seeing him earlier this year. I mean, we played uh, played you guys a whole bunch of times, but I don't remember seeing him. But I, I was impressed the other night. Special night in, in Seattle last night. We're talking with Dave Sims here on A's Cast Live. He is uh, he's a broadcaster with the Seattle Mariners. Uh, of course, uh, Felix Hernandez, his final start of 2019. Many think his final start in a Seattle Mariners uniform. Uh, what was it like getting to witness that in person and, and you know, calling Felix's games for, for as long as you have? Well, tremendous. Last night was tremendously emotional with uh, 20,000 people here. Would we have liked to have had 40,000? Yes. But, you know, to see the end of a, of a terrific run and a run in which, too, that so many tragic games in that he was pitching the seventh, eighth inning giving up one or two runs and come away with a no decision or a loss. And he's got 169 games uh, under his 169 wins. And, you know, with any kind of run support, you know, he should have easy 215. Uh, He meant a lot to to the city, meant a lot to the franchise. I think you saw that last night. And uh, I I thought the fans, the outpouring of love and, uh, you know, and and thank you was was pretty, pretty impressive. You don't see that kind of stuff every day. You could really see that, couldn't you? I mean, the, the love affair kind of between the city of Seattle and, and Felix, and it really seems like, uh, you know, it, it's two ways with these guys. If you could put it in your own words and expand on that a little bit, what has he meant to the community there in Seattle and vice versa? What has Seattle meant to him? Well, everything. I mean, here's a guy that, you know, when he was his peak years, 09 to 15, and he won that one Cy Young Award, and you could have made a case for two others. Right. The uh, you know he was the main thing here for a lot of years when this team was not competitive. You know every fifth day and, and it was you know Happy Felix Day, whether it be on the road but especially at home, the crowd would pick up a little bit more. You know he was he's an he's an icon here, so it means it means a lot as much as anybody who's you know he's up there with each row, he's up there with Griffey in terms of his importance to uh, Seattle and the Pacific Northwest. I was reading a thread on, on Twitter earlier today. I can't remember who it was, but it was, uh, you know, kind of talking about, and I never thought about it this way before, Dave, about how Felix has kind of, uh, you know, changed the game in, in terms of, uh, you know, young guys coming up. I mean, when he came up, uh, he was, what, 19 years old uh, when he made his major league debut? I mean, that was unheard of just about in 2005, and now it, it's just about commonplace. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, we've got some guys who we're, we're having, we have our minor league award winners are here right now. And we've got a couple of guys, Jared Kelnick, who they speak very highly of. He just turned 20. Might he be here next year? Maybe. Uh, I, we don't have a lot of 19 year olds here. But I tell you what, if you're 19 years old and you've got big time ability, 
bring them up. What do you got to lose? And let them let them take their lumps early, and let them and let them let them make it happen. Uh, Felix was an extraordinary case. They signed him. And they had the, the story goes, the scouts had their eyes on him. It was 12, 13, 14. That's how special he was. And it worked out really well. You mentioned, uh, you know, a guy like Jared Kelnick. And, and this is a, a farm system that's undergone kind of a, a major rebuilding here, Dave. What do you see as the direction of this franchise? Obviously, it's been a full full rebuild. Uh, plenty of young players coming up. Kyle Lewis made quite the, uh, the, the splash on the scene up there in Seattle. You know, what do you see as the direction of this franchise right now, and what is there to be excited about in Marinerland? Well, you know, I have not seen any of these guys except for spring training. You read about them. You know, my, my thought is, as, as a guy at the major league level, when they get here, I'll go crazy over them if necessary. What they're trying to do is, is start over again and get a nice base, grow their own, get a couple of free agents to mix in, particularly on the, maybe on the pitching side while you wait for some of the youngsters to develop. And, you know, that's the strategy that a lot of teams are, are, are following in the major league the last few years. I mean, there's been you know, teardowns in Houston and, and Kansas City and the Cubs. And, you know, the Mariners are right there doing a, a similar type of thing. And you, you hope for the best. You know, you know if you have 10, 15 pro, uh, prospects, you know, if you can hit with three or four, that's a lot. So, that's what you're up for. I mean, you, you know, you pretty much answered the question. Uh, you, you answered your own question. I mean, you've you got to grow them, and hopefully uh, things work. We're going to see one of those young guys on the mound tonight, Justice Sheffield. Uh, he's starting, of course, against the A's tonight. Highly touted prospect, came over in the James Paxton deal. Uh, at one point this year, he was sent down to double-A from triple-A, right, Dave, and to, to kind of get it together. It's been a little bit of a mixed bag, it looks like, so far in the big leagues. What are your impressions of him? Do you know that in the PS, uh, PCL, you know, I, I'm told that there's a lot of difficult uh, hitting ballparks uh, or pitching ballparks. And the other thing, too, I, I was told that you know, they wanted, they sent him back to double-A because more of his peer group was down there, guys that, you know, more of his age and similar backgrounds. And that was a little bit, probably had a little more talent, maybe even a lot more talent at the double-A team. And he flourished down there, built up some confidence. You know, he was up here in April, made a start. We needed a fifth uh, starter and didn't do well, like walked the whole farm. Uh, and then since he's come back, every, every time out, he, he can see the improvement. So he's left-handed. He's got good stuff. They're asking him to use his changeup more. He's got the slider. Now the fastball uh, is a plus pitch. And let's see, he's gone. He's gotten in the fifth inning in, a, in all four starts that he made in the month of September. So... You know, small, I wouldn't say baby steps, but medium steps, build up the confidence, build up the arm, and let's see what happens. I mean, so much of this, I mean, you can sit here and speculate and look at minor league numbers and say a guy's going to do You don't know. You really don't know until right. I get here. It's a whole different animal coming up to the big league. Well, you, and you made an interesting point in his, uh, his you know, quote-unquote demotion, I guess, down to double-A to, to pitch with guys that he, maybe he's a little bit more comfortable with. And we see the A's kind of use this model, bringing up a core of guys that have, that have hit each level together. Do you see that as a benefit for young players coming up with a core of group of guys together, guys that are all going to arrive in the big leagues right around the same time? It, it has to be. I mean, I was just down and just came back from the dugout. And all the guys, the, the award winners at San Lone, the guys who they were teammates to a couple. We got a bunch of you know, young kids on our club now. And just to see those guys reconnect and they, you know, they hear them talk to each other and talk about each other, uh, it, it's, it's promising and, and it's exciting. I can see where, you know, if you're a farm director, 
you like seeing that kind of bonding. And that's, you know, great teams usually have some kind of a, a pretty strong bond because they've been together for a while and they've been through the ups and the downs. Kind of a theme on our show today, Dave, as, as we wind down here in the regular season, of course, the, the position the A's are in. I got, got to ask you about your take on the AL wildcard race and the AL postseason picture in, in general. You know, of these three teams, even with Cleveland kind of hanging on by a thread right now, which one do you think has the best chance of making a, a run deep into the playoffs? Of the wild card teams or anybody? Uh, the wild card teams first, and then I'll, I'll take your pick of anybody. Well, I, you know, I, I really like what Minnesota has done. I very much, uh, I'm a big Nelson Cruz guy, so I'm happy for him. You know, Tito does a great job in Cleveland, the fact that they've been able to rally back from all of the pitching problems that they've had, and Kevin Cash does a great job down in Tampa Bay. I'm going to lean, given the, the strong second half, the second year in a row they've had a second half, I'm going to lean towards Oakland, not because I'm on your air. But I, I just think that uh, I, I like a lot about that ball club uh, in terms of uh, coming out of the wild card. Overall, in the uh, American League, you know, I live in New York when I'm not here. I root for the Yankees. And, and, and once they get to the point, I'm out of it. Root for the Yankees. But I tell you what, the Houston club came in here the other day, and, and they just totally shoved it on us <laughs> with uh, Cole and Granke. And it was super impressive, man. And we missed Verlander by a day. So I give them the edge. I think they have no holes in their, in their lineup. And, you know, Bregman, Bregman's probably the MVP if Mike Trout didn't exist. Uh, there's so much to like about that, that club offensively. And whether if Correa can come back, he plays. And even if he doesn't, I still like them. Uh, I, I give them the edge to win the American League. Yeah, you mentioned Verlander. <laughs> you go into a playoff series and you got to face Verlander, Garrett Cole, and Granke. I mean, good luck, right? Buckle up, buckle up. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be tough. Frank, Frankie threw some of the best off-speed stuff I've ever seen. He had a, no, a perfecto into the fifth, a no-no into the ninth the other day. Uh, and yeah, we've lost 90-plus games, but to do that against a major league club, that, that's a big daggone deal, man. He's he's a terrific pitcher. He really is. I mean, that, that's that's a threesome, man, that you're looking at in a playoffs. You live to have you know, a staff like that. Should be a lot of fun. A lot still to be answered. Dave Sims, thank you for your time today, sir. Uh, have a great call, and uh, enjoy the rest of the regular season. You bet, man. Take care. Be well. Good to hear from you. Thank you. You too. That is Dave Sims, uh, broadcaster for the uh, Seattle Mariners, as uh, the A's get ready to take on the Mariners. Quick scoreboard update before we take a break and come on back. Tampa Bay still leading uh, Toronto 2 to nothing. That's in the top of the fourth. The Rays have a man on first with nobody out, and uh, Avisail Garcia has just hit into an out somewhere. We're watching on GameCast here. He uh, he just grounded out, so there's a runner on second now with one out. Tampa Bay leading 2 nothing In Washington, in the bottom of the fourth, uh, the Indians and the Nationals are still tied at two. We'll uh, keep watching those games uh, for you. Call them out earlier today on MLB.com. Uh, every contender's d- biggest weakness. What's the A's? We'll find out next on A's Cast Live. The Alex Jensen experience continues on A's Cast Live. Here's Alex Jensen. I don't think we had that uh, music the last time. The Alex Jensen experience. I remember we had the uh, the very soft music, almost like a almost like a meditation session or something like that. And I got to come in real soft like, and you know, I think we were on the field that day, if I'm not mistaken, which makes it even tougher. We were, and I wanted to make that day very dramatic. <laughs> where this one, we had to use the intense music because this is intense. There's three games left. It's like we're in Indiana Jones. Kind of, yeah. Like yeah. we're running, we're a boulder chasing after us. Not bad. 
I don't mind it. Alex Jensen with you here on A's Cast Live. That voice you hear, that's Commander Cody. Cody Elias. We are uh, coming to you live from the Jingle Town Studios in Jack London Square. It's a beautiful day on the Oakland waterfront. And it's a beautiful day in Oakland A's land as uh, the A's are uh, one win away from clinching a playoff berth for the second consecutive year. The Rays have just scored, by the way. So Tampa Bay leads uh, three to nothing. How they score there, Cody? Was it a uh, RBI single? Bat flipping version uh, for the Rays. Willie Adamas with an RBI single. Nate Lowe scores. Not not Brandon Lau. Nate Lowe spelled the same way. That would be tough. I know. It's. I feel bad for front of the program. Um, Dave Wills and and Dwayne Stats. D- D- Dwayne Stats. I, I can look. Dwayne Stats. One of the best TV guys in the business. Uh, for having to go through those two names all the time and not mixing up. That's that. It's tough. Tough sledding. That that brings to mind. I, I remember doing a, a basketball game at St. Mary's about five years ago, and the team the, the Gales were playing was like you know half Eastern European, so it was tough going that fast to say all those names. That would be a tough one too if we're talking about basketball, right? Low passes to Lau, low to Lau, Lau to Low. How do you separate the two? Anyway, uh, okay. Postseason tickets they're on sale right now, uh, and it's time to pack the town. No better atmosphere in the postseason, if you ask me, than the, than the Oakland Coliseum. S- Oakland Coliseum single-game tickets for the A's potential wild card, which will be on Wednesday. The A's potential wild card and American League Division Series home games are on sale now. This is your chance to hear the Coliseum roar. Everyone should experience the magic of postseason baseball here in the Bay Area. Tell your friends, grab the family, be a part of the magic that is playoff baseball in Oakland. Head to athletics.com slash postseason. That's athletics.com slash postseason. We need your help to pack the town. Also, if you are uh, waiting for the code words for the MLB prize pack, the second code word for the MLB prize pack, and I've gotten to look at this prize pack, right, Cody? We've gotten to look at these prize packs. They're pretty sweet. Yeah, Tony really wants that hat. So if anyone wants to give him the hat, feel free. <laughs> Go find him in the treehouse, hopefully on Wednesday. He'll download AceCast for you on your phone, too. He sure will. <laughs> yeah, I've done a few of those, by the way. Uh, the, anyway, the second code word for the MLB prize pack is Bob. Bob is the second code word for the MLB prize pack. By the way, how many uh, times do you think he's downloaded AceCast so far in Indianapolis? Over under five. Didn't he say, when we had him on a few weeks ago during the preseason when the Raiders were in Winnipeg, he downloaded it on a couple of the Raiders players' phones. Yeah. International Waters people want to hear us on AceCast. So. It does not. I mean, it does not stop. He could be on the moon, and he'll be downloading uh, AceCast on someone's phone. That'd be that'd be pretty great. Pretty great to hear Tony on the moon. I, I don't think our jurisdiction uh, <laughs> reaches the moon. You never know. The t- technology is pretty impressive now. That's true. That's true. Um, this is AceCast Live. I am Alex Jensen. Uh, we are counting down. We are at uh, about an hour and a half away, just a little over an hour and a half away from the A's uh, second of a four-game series, the final series of the homestand of the homestand of the season against uh, against the Mariners. The A's magic number to reach the postseason is one. And there was a column on MLB.com today. Every uh, all the playoff teams' weaknesses. And uh, and listing those, and uh, this was written by Andrew Simon at Andrew Simon MLB. And uh, we get down to the A's, and and here is what Andrew Simon says about the A's. Uh, and uh, and you can take, feel free to text in, by the way, and tell me if you agree with this. Five one zero eight nine seven one three two two. That's five one zero eight nine seven one three two two. Andrew Simon's 
weakness for the Oakland A's is their starting pitching, and here is exactly what he says. Once again, Oakland has managed to cobble together a solid rotation, adding Tanner Roark and Homer Bailey to fellow veterans Brett Anderson and Mike Fires before the trade deadline. Even so, the A's starter ERA is almost a run higher away from the spacious Oakland Coliseum and is over five against other AL playoff contenders. It's also a pitch-to-contact group that ranks near the bottom of the majors in strikeout rate. Sean Manaya's September return is a reason for hope, but Frankie Montas is ineligible for the postseason, and it's fair to wonder if Oakland starters will hold up as well as the postseason's dangerous offenses, especially with the Crawford boxes or Yankee Stadium's short porch looming. Okay, now that's fair. That 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 last part is fair, I think. I think that that you know that applies to every single postseason rotation. Justin Verlander has been great this year, but he's given up a lot of home runs. Verlander has here in 2019. So that I mean that really applies to anybody. Anybody can make a mistake, and that mistake can be hit a long way or not a long way. And if it's in the right spot, it counts as a run or more. But here's where I don't agree with this. I think you've got two legitimate, you know, frontline guys. Shaw Maniah and Mike Fires. Now, if you want to say maybe their biggest weakness is starting pitching depth, you know, where do you go to after that? Commander, it looks like you've got a number on the home runs Verlander's given up. That number will be 34. He's going up 34 home runs. You know how many runs he's given up this year, though? Runs. How many? 34 home runs, 63 runs. Unbelievable. Yep. This guy's probably going to win the Cy Young. He's gonna, he'll finish probably in the top five of MVP. And he has 20 wins, if you still value wins. 20 wins is still pretty impressive. And this guy, is, he's on a list of, like I think, four active players that have multiple 21 seasons. There was a trivia question earlier today on MLB Network. I fell back asleep, so I didn't get a chance to see who the other three people <laughs> were. But I'm sure, I, I want to say CC Sabathia might have been one of them. So if, if, well, if every single, uh, if every single, home run that he gave up was was a two-run home run they would still not equal that would still the amount of runs he's given up would still not equal that total that's pretty amazing anyway the point being you know i I, the starting pitching for oakland is a big reason that they are in the position they're in you know if if you want to call the a's bullpen their biggest weakness i think i could get on board a little bit more with that but mike fires and sean manaya uh you know that that's a legitimate one-two punch and it maybe it's not on the same level as the Astros and what they can give you with you know Verlander and Granke and uh, and Garrett Cole who's probably going to win the Cy Young this year if not if not Verlander. But you know I think you, you you look at some of the points made here, and one of the points is that this is a pitch to contact group. Well, another part of that is. This is one of the best defensive teams in all of baseball. You've got a platinum Glover at third. You've got a gold Glover at first. Marcus Simeon uh, should be a finalist at least for the gold glove this season. You've got a defense you can throw out there of Ramon Laureano maybe in right. Steven Piscotti is a, an above-average right fielder. Mark Canna has proved more than capable in center field. Chad Pinder can play anywhere. Sean Murphy. You see the throw Sean Murphy made last night? I mean... That's against the league leader in steals, and he got him easily. Um, Josh Fagley's got a very good arm, although I give the edge to Murphy a little bit on overall defensive catcher. Beside the point, the, the point that you know, you're going to make a, an argument that a pitch-to-contact group is, is considered a weakness, well, again, the A's have one of the best defenses, if not the best defense in all of baseball. 
So there's that. You know, I did take this even further. When when the, the team across the bay, when they won the World Series in 2014, did they have a big strikeout staff? Was Madison Bumgarner necessarily a high strikeout guy in the playoffs? Tim Hudson, Barry Zito. You know, I mean, the, the Jake, point. Jake Peavy. Jake Peavy. Yeah, no, they didn't, at have, that point, they didn't have any strikeout guys. Right. Take a look at Clayton Kershaw. You've got him up on your screen right now. High strikeout guy, right? Maybe not at this point in his career so much anymore, but when he was leading the league in strikeouts, what he is sold, that, he 11? A, he sold 188 this year. But look at his postseason success. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, that that is not a paint-by-numbers deal. Uh, Garrett Cole is not the uh, greatest postseason pitcher. He, that's because he hasn't had a lot of chances to pitch in the postseason. Right. He The three times the Pirates made the playoffs, he didn't start the wild card game, so he had a pitch in the divisional round against the Cardinals the only time they did win. And then his other only chance would have been last year for the Astros. So I want to see what he does. Be right about the high strikeout guys. Like, they, look at the Royals. The Royals won a World Series built on their bullpen. They yeah, go six innings, get it to Holland, get it to Dwayne Davis and Kelvin Herrera, and that was it. And that's why they won. Put it this way: Can you name the Royals' starting rotation from those years, uh, from their two World Series years? Uh, Johnny Cueto was on that staff. Johnny Cueto. He was on one of those staffs. They, remember, he was, they, the he was sta- a he deadline was on, acquisition. Was he on the staff that? Won the World Series, or is it set the lost? I think they won. They got him and Zobris that year, right? They won it. Yeah. So yeah, that would have been 2015. They would have had Big Game James on that staff. Okay. That's it. At his peak, right? Uh, But he was not a strikeout guy. No, I was gonna say Jeremy Guthrie, uh, Danny Duffy, Danny Duffy, Uh, um, Brandon Finnegan. Finnegan was great from TCU. That was was. rookie year. Yeah, I'll pull up the staff. So anyway, the point being. You do not need to, in my opinion, you don't need to be a big strikeout staff to go on and win the World Series. Have there been? Sure there have. The Astros in 2017. I mean, that, that's a staff that struck out a lot of guys. Verlander at his rebirth. You know, Lance McCullers out of the bullpen. I'm missing some guys. Um, you know, you think back to last season. Red Sox. Yeah, that's a high strikeout staff. So the last two years, yes. You know, with Chris Sale and David Price. I mean, that's a high strikeout staff. Keiko was on that Astros staff. He didn't strike a lot of people out, did he? Uh, they also would have had Charlie Morton that year. Because remember, he pitched them. I think he closed out game seven. And they had uh, Brad Peacock. They had a few guys to pitch. But I, I, I pull, I'm I, pulling up this Royals roster. I'm trying to find the uh, the starters for you here. I'll, I'll make – and here's another argument for you. I, I think that that this article is underselling the A's ability to be a strikeout staff. Shamanaya – Strikes guys out. You know, Homer Bailey's got 68 strikeouts in 73 and a third innings pitch with the A's. Yeah, you know, that's, that's good. those are good strikeout numbers. A lot of them in that one start, he had, what, 11 against the Royals? Right. And so that was dominant. Here's the Royal staff in 2015. Um, Edison Volquez, Jordan uh, uh, Ventura. Okay, strikeout uh, guy. Yeah. Danny Duffy. Jeremy Guthrie. Right. Uh, Chris Young, 6'10", 6'11", Chris Young from... I believe Yale. Now they used him as a long man that year in the in the playoffs, right? Yeah, and yeah. Johnny Cueto was their other starter. So Jeremy Guthrie in 148 innings had 84 strikeouts. <laughs> their leading strikeout guy was Ventura, who had 156 and 163 in, right. a, in a third innings pitched. So the point being, and 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 to our point about defense, that was a really good defensive team oh. with Escobar at short, Hosmer, and Kane in center field, Hosmer, Mustakis, Alex Gordon, the Gold Glover, yeah. and left. Who played right that year for them? Ooh, man. Was it? No, Zobers played second. So, well, let's see. We have the roster here. I'll we do have the up. roster here. Um, anyway, so that's where I, I think that argument that argument falls short. Uh, you know, pitching away from the Coliseum, sure. But 
you look at some of these. At Alex Rios. Alex Rios, okay. White Sox and Blue Jays legend. There you go. But you, you look at some of these parks, and there's going to be a lot of home runs hit in any of these parks in the American League outside of the Coliseum and potentially Tampa. Houston, Hitters Park. New York, Hitters Park. Minnesota, Hitters Park. So I just don't think that you can necessarily call the A's starting entire starting rotation a weakness. Now, maybe if you want to get into, um, you know, some of the rotation depth, who do you put there? I mean, I think that's a legitimate question right now. Is it necessarily a weakness? I'm not so sure. You know, maybe if you want to call the back end of the bullpen a weakness outside of Hendricks, that's been unproven this year for the most part. Soria's looked better. Petit's been about as reliable as they come. But the A's have blown 30 saves which is tops in the league. So maybe that's your weakness. But uh, and, and here's here's another. Uh, we're getting some texts in, by the way. Uh, 518 and 71322. Uh, like the ground out pitchers from the uh, 480. I like the ground out pitchers because of the, in, the ground ball pitchers because of the infield, the left side of the infield in particular. I think that's a great point. Again, you don't have to, especially if you have a top-level defense, you do not need a strikeout staff. Other uh, other weaknesses in this in this article, the Astros base running. Now that may seem insignificant, but that can come that can play a crucial role in the postseason. We we talked about the Royals a little while ago. They ran the bases as well as anybody. But the one that really is a questionable to me, the Yankees' health. Now that may be true. They don't have their whole lineup. They don't have everybody there. Aaron Hicks is out. Uh, you know Dylan Patanzas. But their starting rotation leaves something to be desired as well. All right, we're being joined on the phone by uh, the radio voice of the Oakland A's and a Bay Area Hall of Famer. He is Ken Korak. Ken, how are you? How How is Seattle treating you? Well, Alex, it's a little bit chilly today. Um, it was a beautiful day yesterday, and the roof was open here, but today they've got it closed up, and uh, it's more of, I guess, what you'd expect in late September in Seattle. We were uh, Cody and I were just going over uh, an article here on, on MLB.com about each team's, you know, supposed weakness heading into the postseason. And, and uh, this author surmised that the A's starting rotation uh, was their weakness. What, what, do you, what do you say to that? I, I you know, I, I had my own questions, but what's your, what's your take on that? Well, not if you had seen Sean Benaya pitch last night. Right. Uh, you know, that the perception might be there because they don't have a Max Scherzer or you know, the, the guys that the Astros can run out there, but the starting pitching has been very good. As you know, if you look back over the last six weeks or so, um, you know, the ERA is under four. Uh, they've only lost three or four games, the starting rotation. So, you know, I think it made me a little bit underrated uh, from that standpoint. I completely agree. And speaking of starting pitchers, you got a pretty cool experience last night seeing probably Felix Hernandez's final start in a Mariner uniform. I thought you guys did a great job of describing the moment. What was that moment like, Ken, there in Seattle? Well, we didn't know really what to expect, except we were right. told they'd have a good crowd and, you know, King's Court with all the uh, King's fans, Felix's fans wearing the yellow T-shirts. And then it, you know, it spread all the way up to the upper deck to our left here. So it was quite a contingent. Um, it was very emotional. And he showed his emotions, too. I thought, I thought that was one of the cool things about it. Um, Alex, the way that he really embraced the moment, and uh, he actually uh, gave back a lot of that love. The, the love that he received, he gave it back uh, to the fans here. So uh, he didn't pitch great, didn't pitch badly, 
I think it worked out well for everybody because he had his moment uh, and the A's won the ball game. Some of the coolest reaction I thought in, in doing A's all night was some of the, the uh, reaction from the A's clubhouse and hearing Bob Melvin and Sean and I, and particularly Jesus Lazardo talk about him. And I, I know, you know, Jesus looks up to, to Felix, right? I mean, he's like a role model. They're both of Venezuelan yeah. descent. Pretty cool. Right, because even though Jesus was born in Peru, and that happened because his dad was working there for a couple of years, but uh, Jesus's family, as you said, Alex, comes from Venezuela. The A's have, you know, quite a contingent. I think all around baseball, there are people who come from that country who have great respect for what Felix has done. And uh, Bo Mel didn't manage him. Uh, Felix was just a teenager in the Mariners organization when uh, Bob Melvin managed his last game for the Mariners in 04. Felix made his debut the next day. But as Bob Melvin said, uh, we, the A's wish him the best. Um, they're not terribly sorry to see him go right. uh, because over the years, you know, 26 lifetime wins against the athletics. And there were a couple of years there where it seemed like he pitched the first game and the second game. And then, uh, you know, like every game that he pitched was against the A's early in the season. Get to uh, Sean Mania now. And, you know, last night started and he was, I mean, he was really quality again. You just touched on it, Ken. Uh, and so far this year, since coming back from injury, 29 two thirds innings pitch, he's only given up 16 hits. He struck out 30 batters to your point. You know, he's, I mean, he's been throwing the ball as well as anybody in the American league in September. And, and particularly Bob Melvin was talking about his slider and that, how that has uh, made him that much more effective, a true three pitch guy. How have you kind of seen the evolution of, of Sean Manaya uh, during his career in the big leagues, and how important has that pitch been for him? Well, the first thing is is that he pitched in pain last year and still had a really good year until they finally had to shut him down and then had the surgery in, in September last year on his shoulder, pitched a no-hitter, and he was less than 100%. So um, he's always been good to me and always really tough. Uh, fastball, slider, change, mix. And there's a variance in the speed between the three. Obviously, the fastball he throws the hardest, and the changeup is almost his second in terms of velocity. And then the slider, at least last night, was at 77, 78, 79 in that range. So he gives you a different look in terms of the way the ball breaks. Um, that's the first thing. The other thing, there is a difference in, in speed, and he is really hard to pick up. And as you know, we've talked about this, his fastball plays faster than it is. Right. He hit, he hit 92, I think 92.5 on, on a couple of pitches yesterday. But uh, if you talk to hitters, it looks like it's a lot harder than that. He's obviously, you know, coming back from, from shoulder surgery. And, and this club, Ken, I mean, they've been through just about everything you can imagine this year. I mean, injuries to Chris Davis, Stephen Piscotti, Ramon Laureano, Matt Olson. Didn't have Sean Maniah or Frankie Montas for a good part of the year. They lead Major League Baseball in blown saves tied with Boston and yet they are still on the cusp of the postseason again. What does that say about this group and this franchise? First of all, you're right. And during the first half, the bullpen was an issue in locking down games. They just had a lot of those disappointing losses late, um, especially in the ninth inning. And that was an issue. But if you also look at that blown save stat, which I think can be a little deceiving, sure. some of the best teams in baseball are up there at the top in baseball in that particular statistic. And I think part of it, reflects on the good teams have the lead a lot. And so there's maybe a little more of a likelihood that you're going to lose some leads. But um, Liam Hendricks, to me, uh, and I was doing some work on, on his numbers, he's not going to win the Cy Young, a little bit like, like Simeon, although Marcus is starting to get a little more play for the MVP. Um, at least for the last three months, Liam Hendricks, to me, 
should be right up there in the like the three months Cy Young. Uh, you know, when he when he took over as the closer, it helped turn the A season around. Um, and his numbers actually are better, I think, than any closer in the American League since around the first of July. So it's it's really been remarkable to see what he's done. And, and the fact that you know, I mean, you mentioned it. You know, the blown save that statistic in in black and white isn't necessarily as as demoralizing, right, as it looks. But the A's have some lo- lost some games this year in demoralizing fashion. You know, uh, or devastating fashion would be, uh, you know, a, probably a, a more appropriate word to use. But every single day, Ken, they come back and they play hard, and it's almost like the the, the previous day didn't happen. I mean, the intangibles, we've talked about it before, but the intangibles and the makeup of this club is almost as important as the talent they're putting out there between the lines. Well, and Bob Melvin's the personification of that. They don't get too high or too low. Uh, things happen, and it's like when they lost the first game of that series in Houston, uh, 15 to nothing. And going into that series, which we all thought was a, you know, maybe even a pivotal series in the season, not necessarily as far as the division, because that was going to be a long shot, but to see where the A's might wind up in this wild card chase, you don't want to go in there and lose three out of four, get swept, and they turn right around and they won the next three games. So they're, they have a remarkable ability. They're extremely professional, and they go about their business the same way every day. Uh, and the, I think it starts with some of the young stars on the club, yeah, And when you have that, when you have those guys as role models, it's a lot easier for young players and people that come from different organizations. There's, there's this expectation, Alex, that um, this is the way the A's play. And that's a really high standard they're setting right now. One of those young players, Matt Chapman, uh, wh- what do you think? I mean, you know, I thought you, uh, you, you and Vince going back and forth after the Matt Chapman home run on Wednesday uh, kind of put it perfectly, but was that was that not the moment of the year for the Oakland A's? Matt Chapman's home run, given the struggles in that game, given what had happened earlier in the day, I mean that was a huge swing. Well, Bob Melvin said it was the most impactful home run during his time managing the A's, and if the A's win the game today, they're in the postseason for the fifth time in the last eight years, and that would be eight full seasons of Melvin's stewardship and five times in the postseason and for him to say that that was the biggest home run during his time I think that speaks to what you're saying and we had mentioned this a little bit on the broadcast yesterday a conversation with David Feldman about some of the history um, it stacks up with some of the most dramatic home runs late in a season the A's have ever hit um, the A's off times when they've gotten to the postseason Alex have dominated down the stretch and so they haven't had too many games where like they had to win it was do or die in the last three or four games of the season. And hence, because of that, they haven't had too many of those, you know, Bobby Thompson kind of moments where the, you know, the shot heard around the world, uh, you know, Brandon Moss's home run in 2012, uh, walk-off capital of baseball is called by Vince Catronio. Uh, that stands out of Bobby Crosby home run in 2004 against the Mariners, although the A's eventually didn't go to the postseason that year. So uh, Chapman's home run, not only for this year, if the A's make it, and we're assuming they're going to get to the postseason, like I said, uh, was seminal uh, from that standpoint. And also would go down um, in the annals of the Oakland A's history as one of the most important home runs yet. You know, another thing it did is it seemed like it helped kind of lock Matt Chapman back in a little bit. He had another home run last night to the same part of the field. I mean, when he is struggling, uh, as he was for, for September, or for most of September, I should say, oh. 
I mean, is he one of those guys that you see kind of really jumping out and, and maybe trying to do a little bit too much? And it, it sounded like he kind of found something in that at bat before that home run in Anaheim. Well, he said stay short on the swing because he has had the tying run. As you know, they had Simeon in scoring position. So when you're, you're thinking about that, you're not pulling off the ball. Mm-hmm. And with teams trying to beat him with high fastballs, especially pitches up and away, you know, what they want you to do is try to pull that pitch, and you can't do it. And so um, even Matt Williams was talking about that uh, today before the game. It's a great sign when he, he hits home runs to center field, which he did last night, and he did with that, you know, the dramatic home run against the Angels. How appropriate is it for the A's to have Mike Fires on the mound in a night where they can clinch a postseason berth? Well, you look back to the 20th of March in Tokyo, Alex. We all remember that. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't go that well for the A's. They lost to the Mariners and to Marco Gonzalez. So a chance to really bookend things but get a win today. Uh, we'll be playing scoreboard. We don't know how things are going to work out. But as you know, the Indians are playing now, and so are the Rays, as you and I are chatting. So. Um, they just clinched the postseason in Seattle a year ago, and they've got a great chance to do it tonight. How does that work? Do the guys have the uh, – are those games, like, on in the clubhouse downstairs? I would think that there would be at least one TV, uh, you know, uh, with a channel focused on that game. Yeah, you would but think, right? They, it would last year when the A's got to the postseason and clinched the wild card. It happened because the Tampa Bay Rays – it was a Monday night here – and the Rays are playing the Yankees, and the Rays lost the game. We found out about it with one out into the ball game. So that was, was little, the, the game itself turned out to be a little bit of an anti-climax because then you've got to wait the whole game before you can celebrate. Uh, but we literally found out one out into the game right after the game started a year ago. Uh, but there's a lot more at stake. I mean, I think getting the – and it could still happen today, that the whole thing could be over today. They could get into the postseason and also clinch um, home field. A lot would have to happen, of course, for that to happen. But it's one thing to get in, but I think it's really important, too, for the A's uh, to get the home field against the Rays. And the A's certainly learned that last year, didn't they? Also in 2014 against Kansas City. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, of course, they have to make a decision on who they're gonna, who they would start. It looks like it's going to come down to Manaya and Fires. Uh, they would both be extremely deserving. And a lot of that would depend on the matchup that the A's feel is best in that game. Uh, one thing, the Rays, the most impactful offensive players for the Rays are left-handed hitters. Uh, that's take nothing away from, obviously, Yael Garcia and guys like Tommy Pham and that, but most of their big guns are lefties. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what, which, if that might influence the A's thinking. It'll be interesting. It sure will. And I, you know, I think those two guys have deserved it, Ken. And if the A's do make it to the wild card game, you know, I mean, I think either one would be a pretty good option. No question about that. And you don't want to get ahead of yourselves, too. You right. want to focus on winning that game. And then you, have, you, you, then you deal with uh, who will start the first couple of games of the division series. It'll be interesting. It'll be a lot of fun the rest of the weekend. Ken, thank you for the time. Uh, have a great call tonight. And uh, I guess I'll talk to you in the third inning. Thank you, Alex. We'll do it. Thanks, buddy. Ken Korak joining the program. Uh, One of the best there is, I'll tell you what. Okay, uh, we'll take one more break. When we come back, a little buying or selling as we wrap up A's Cast Live on this Friday from Jack London Square. A's Cast Live. Now back to the town. Here's Alex Jensen. Back with you from the Jingle Town Studios in Jack London Square. Alex Jensen with you here on A's Cast Live. Now the Third and final code word for the MLB prize pack. 
has been shared on Twitter, at AthleticsCast24. That's at AthleticsCast24, the third and final code word for the MLB prize pack on Twitter, at AthleticsCast24. MLB Network will be the exclusive home of two ALDS games and extensive postseason coverage this fall. Also remember, postseason tickets are on sale right now. It's time to pack the town. Single-game tickets for the A's potential wildcard and American League Division Series home games are on sale right now. This is your chance to hear the Coliseum roar. Everyone should experience the magic of postseason baseball here in the Bay Area. You heard Peter Gammons earlier today talking about how special the atmosphere is at the Oakland Coliseum. This guy's been around, and he was telling us earlier today on A's Cast Live how special the atmosphere is at the Oakland Coliseum for a playoff game. This is your chance to experience it. Tell your friends, grab the family, be a part of the magic that is playoff baseball in Oakland. Head to athletics.com slash postseason. That's that's athletics.com slash postseason. We need your help to pack the town. Um, I believe it's time for some buying or selling. It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. I promise I'm going to change that eventually where it's just I was going to say. for buying or selling with Commander Cody, not Chris Townsend. Because, you know, technically I host this segment. That's very true. So the other night, Max Muncy did something for the first time in his career. He hit a grand slam. He also hit a 74th career home run, which would have been the grand slam. In 2017, he was released by the very our very own Oakland Athletics and signed by the Dodgers a month later. He spent all of 2017 in AAA. Since then, he's hit 69 home runs over the past two seasons, and he had a dramatic home run in Game 3 of the World Series to lift the Dodgers to their only victory last year against the Red Sox. Buying or selling Max Muncy has been the Dodgers' best find. So just to clarify, we're not talking about the draft either, right? I mean, no, in my like, mind, best find is like picking up off the scrap heap. Yeah, like him, Chris Taylor, Kike Hernandez, like the guys that kind of came out of nowhere. For Chris Taylor is, is a good player. He is. That was a, another Mariner guy that they gave up on too soon. But I don't think there's any question, right? I mean, Max Muncy, you mentioned the numbers. 74 career home runs. This guy hit 195. For, now, granted, he was, you know, a top five round pick. He was a fifth round pick by the A's, but this guy hit 195 and he had plenty of, he had 96 games, 215 at, at bats for the A's. He had five home runs. This is, this was not a guy. I remember watching Max Muncy in an A's uniform. This was not a guy that, that showed any of those type of tools. So yeah, I mean, there, there's no doubt he's turned into a middle of the order force. Was he in the home run derby? He was. This, I mean, last year. If you last year, I thought he was in home run derby. If you would have told me when he was with the A's in 15 and 16 that he would one day, you know, be an all star and hit the home run derby, I'd say you're crazy. There's no way they have a better find than Max Muncy. Muncy, I'm buying that. Uh, buying or selling, he gets 100 RBIs in the season. He has 97 with three games left. I'll buy that. I, 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 I kind of, I wanted to get it. I know RB, people devalue RBIs now. Because of some, uh, that's another stat that people are starting to run out of the wayside. I still think RBIs matter. RBIs matter, especially to a lot of guys when it comes to contracts. Well, here and and that's the thing, right? Is people devalue it because it's not based on their skill. It's based on you know, uh, I guess hitting at the right time sometimes. But there's there's still there, that kind of measures a clutch gene, doesn't it? It. I completely agree. So, the Washington Nationals at one point were 19 and 31 after 50 games this season. Since then. Uh, they're cool, 71 and 38 in that time. Juan Soto has made Nationals fans forget about Bryce, about Bryce Harper, who has 
there was a story I'd say him complaining that the national fans heckle him too much and he can't handle Get it. Get over it, man. You're um, making over $300 million. Yeah, and I'm a, Har- I'm a Harper guy, but, I mean, come on. It's kind of Their weak. bullpen has been much better after being the worst in Major League Baseball, and they are still tied for the most blown saves in baseball with the A's. And then following them is the Dodgers and Cubs, which is surprising. Dave Roberts will get votes for manager of the year, and so will probably Bruce Bochy for what he's did with the Giants this year in his final year as a manager of the Giants. Because I'm not going to say it's his final year as a manager because I think he's going to San Diego. But wow. buying or selling, Dave Martinez will win the NL Manager of the Year award. I'll buy that. Um, you know, your other candidates, like you mentioned, Dave Roberts, but he's got a, you know, a roster that's been to the World Series multiple times over the last handful of years. I'm sorry, Bruce Bochy. I mean, I, I personally... You know, and I know that roster isn't very good for the Giants, but they're nowhere close to the postseason in a in a in a weaker National League, uh, and you know I, I think his name is being thrown out there because people think it's his last year, which it very well could be. You know, if it wasn't his last year, would he be getting those? You know, would would he be getting those accolades? You know, I'm not so sure. I don't think there's anyone close right now to Dave Martinez. To be honest with you, for him to, for him, I mean, the Nationals at one point this season were 19 and 31. They've gotten 69 and 38 since. They have 90 wins. They're, I mean, people were writing the Nationals off, saying it was almost time to – remember we had Steve Phillips on the first time I did this show in this room? Yeah. And he said if the Nationals don't trade Rendon, or if they do trade Rendon, we were talking about them trading Anthony Rendon, that they should just go for a full rebuild. There's no question. They're, you know, they're probably going to play a home game in the postseason. The only guy that could maybe be up there with him, uh, Craig Council for what he said with the, the, the Brewers again, are on yeah. an incredible run. Mike Schultz had a nice job with the Cardinals, getting them back to potentially winning the NL Central. Mickey Callaway, who's probably going to lose his job, turn that Mets around. So those are guys. But I definitely, I'm buying. I think it's Mets Dave, are a mess. I think it's it's Dave Martinez. Yeah. So Council's, Zach, Council's a good call though. So Zach Granke the other night almost threw his first career no hitter. Now, if you remember earlier this year, he almost had one with the Diamondbacks, and he said after the game he doesn't think much of a no hitter because he doesn't want to have to deal with the hassle that comes with throwing a no hitter. He lost a no hitter in the ninth inning with one out to the Mariners. The Astros are trying. We're trying to become the first team to have three no-hitters in one season as the Mariners are trying to become the first team to be no-hit three times in a season. Buying or selling, Zach Greinke intentionally gave up the hit to lose the no-hitter. Selling. There's no way. He's a competitor. There's no way. There's no way. I know Zach Greinke's a different dude, uh, and he probably didn't want to deal with the media, but there's no way he intentionally gave up a hit to lose a no-hitter. He, at the end of the day, he's still a competitor. Uh, that's, that's it for today. That's it for today? Okay. Yeah. Well, dang it. This I think this is my last time probably hosting A's Cast Live during the season. So, uh, great I'm, job, good to have you. Well, I was just going to say I wish we could have played for longer. Oh well, uh, I guess there's always another day. There's always another day. Uh, we've had a great show today. Peter Gammons on the program earlier today. You'll hear that interview, by the way. If you want to hear that Peter Gammons interview, it'll be athletics.com slash pod. And in fact, any interview you want to hear will be on athletics.com slash podcasts. I will replay the Peter Gammons interview uh, tomorrow on A's Total Access during the pregame show. We had C.J. Nikowski on, uh, Rangers broadcaster Dave Sims with the Mariners, uh, one of their broadcasters, as well as the great Ken Korak, the Hall of Famer. Thanks to you for joining us. Thanks to uh, Commander Cody. Uh, A's Total Access is coming up at 6.05 in just about 10 minutes. My name is Alex Jensen. Thank you for listening. This has been A's Cast Live. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.